I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, your story teacher host. And as always, we are going to do our very best to answer a question today. But before I get into the question, let me remind you, stay to the very end of the show where we will have stories from the road, where I will take all the bits and pieces of today's show, put them together into a story of some experience of mine, and try to make it all make sense and apply it to the question and the answer. Uh, And just before that, we normally have the great guest giveaway, but we're going to pass that up today because we're going to have a few guests instead of one and a great guest giveaway. We're just going to have a lot of great guests. Um, Today's question is about grandparenting, and the reason we're asking a question about grandparenting is because I got thinking that I should ask the world what they wanted me to do a podcast on, and the world according to Facebook anyway. So I stuck a post on Facebook and I said, um, you know, what do you guys want me to talk about? What am I not covering that you would like covered? And I got two very strong suggestions, as strong as in more than one person wanted this talked about. Many people wanted it talked about, and they got talking about me talking about it. And so the first one was divorce, which we covered last time. And the next one was grandparenting. Is it of any value? How do you water the grandparents, make them grow into grandparents that want to help? Um, that sort of thing. So I found this very interesting. Not so much that the grandparenting question was coming up, but that everybody wanted me to talk about it. Everybody wrote down, oh, yes, of course, I have so much to say. I even started a special page for it. I'm doing postcards for it. I'm doing special birthday cards that I send to people because their grandparents don't do it. I got all this stuff. But when I actually asked them to come on the podcast, they went poof and disappeared. So uh, (laughs) apparently everybody wants us to complain But nobody wants to have their voice being the instigator of the complaints. And maybe that says something right there. So instead of the question being, how do we get the grandparents to grandparent and help out with the children if there's special needs or not, I think the question has to change as a result of the way everyone didn't show up. I think the question has to change into... How can we learn to appreciate the grandparents so much that that's what waters on them and helps them grow into the kind of grandparents that are interactive with us and helping us? And I'm going to tell you right at the outset, I have no idea what the answer is because I sucked at that. So let's begin by talking to Rachel Clark. Now, Rachel's special um, in a lot of ways, but she's really special to my heart because You know how sometimes you meet somebody and, you know, they let you be who you are. They let you share your soul and your talents. 
and they appreciate that. Well, sometimes it's hard to meet me because my soul and my talents are that I tell you what to do and how to change yourself. And I give advice and I teach. And, I, you know, sometimes people just go, oh, please, I don't want to meet Lynette. You know, she's going to tell me how to change myself. Um, so I really appreciated that Rachel appreciated that side to me and really let me share some wonderful things right at the outset, right when we first met. And we've since become pretty fast friends um, and have been hanging, playing Scrabble, and, and uh, she's helping me with a research project. And, and so I'm really excited to introduce her. Before I do that, I want to tell you how we met. We were, and there's a reason for that. And I know I'm going on and on, but there's lots of good news today. Um, so I met Rachel at my show, Fix It in Five. Now, Fix It in Five, as I've told you all before, is um, a series that I'm doing for the Autism Channel. The cameras follow me into work, and I go into someone's home, and I work in that home, and it'll be in a different place in the world. You know, so we did Africa, we did San Francisco, and we're still going to do three more um, in different locations around the globe. So it's a very exciting show, and it's neat to be able to show people what's possible and what I do with neurofeedback and play and just the different cultures and families coping with autism. Um, and a part of that show is when we go back to see if whatever help we did has managed to stay with the family, instead of doing it the typical way by going back to their home, I bring them to me or to some stage somewhere, and uh, we do a little live show. We get an audience together, and I show some clips, and we sing a little, and, you know, the child comes out if we're lucky, and the parents come out, and I come out, and we just talk about different things. So we do it like a talk show and get, you know, a local celebrity host and, um, or as, as high up in the celebrity ranks as is willing to join us. And that is what we were doing here in Los Angeles, and, and uh, Rachel happened to be in the audience, and that's how we met. So the reason that's important is not because of the theme of the day, but because I got an email from the Autism Channel. They saw episode one. They're so excited. They're making it their main show, and they're advertising it like crazy. And they're, um, they're just, you know, that subject line was, oh, my God, it's so great. <laughs> so they're really, really thrilled with it, and I'm really thrilled about that because it's been an awful lot of work. So I'm glad you all are going to be able to see some tips from me for free because it's expensive to bring me globally around to help you. So it's nice if I can just send my words and my image to you. All right, so that's all my nonsense. That's all my news. Remember, if you want to get a hold of me, it's mom, number four, evermore, at Juno, J-U-N-O, dot com. And now we're going to get into talking with our guest who's so patiently been quiet sitting in her car. <laughs> and her name is Rachel Clark. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for being here. Hi, Lynette. Thank you for having me. I didn't put you to sleep with all that yada, yada, yada? Absolutely not. You know how much I love your podcast, and this oh. way I get, to, I get to listen to it more. Yes, you get to be firsthand. The only thing is you will be part of it, and so you never know what you actually said. You have to go back and listen anyway, so you have to, you have to listen to this one too. I'm, I'm not letting you off the hook on that. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, so... So um, I, I have to tell everyone that I didn't really warn you or anything. I just, uh, last night we were playing Scrabble, and I said, hey, all my guests are falling away. Would you be willing to talk? Do you have a grandma? <laughs> that was my first question. Do you have a grandma? Is she alive? Um, and do you know her? And then I thought, well, let's just talk about that. So let's go with that. Tell us about, and you had a great answer. You said you have a grandma, and then you have somebody you call grandma, and I think that's a great place to start. So let's find out about your grandma and your relationship. 
Okay. Um, I'm not sure which one you want me to start with. So, Well, let's start with the real blood so, grandma, um, okay. even if she's adopted or whatever, but like the grandma that's officially, legally your grandma. Let's start with her. And do okay, tell people, it. do you see yourself as on the spectrum? Um, that's a really good question, Lynette. And uh, if you had asked me that question a year ago, the answer would have been a resounding yes. If you'd asked me that question six months ago, the answer would have been a resounding yes. Uh-huh. Um, asking me the question today, the answer is probably, but there are days when I wonder if I still uh-huh. am or not. So Okay. Well, that's interesting. So you believe that it's possible to be and then not be? Uh-huh. Well, I do. I do. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> but, uh, but not everyone does. So, um, right. So that's awesome. And how, do you think that believing that helps you in some way, or why do you believe it? Well, uh, I okay, that's a two-part question. So, and I'm having a little bit of trouble with it. So, yeah, maybe I still am on the spectrum, huh? <laughs> well, that's okay. You can have one foot on and one foot off. So the foot that's on is a little challenged by the two parts. So let's break it down. Um, why do you believe that you can come off the spectrum? From listening to the stories that you tell from your own personal experiences and having read your book and blah, 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 blah. Do I need to say anything more? No, you, you never need to say more, but I like that I've had that kind of an influence as long as you see it as a positive one. So now the other Definitely. part of the question, yeah, okay, it's positive. Why? Like, how has that been beneficial? Well, okay, here's the thing, is that maybe I, maybe I never even actually told, verbalized this, or okay, I don't verbalize anything because we don't usually talk, we write. Okay, so maybe I've never told you this, but okay, the, you, you were talking about the day that we met, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the questions that you asked me that day was what I had gotten out of it, and like the, the take-home thing for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what it really wound up being was that I went home having been exposed to um, the possibility of healing and becoming better. The, you know, something that before I had no idea would have ever been possible. And when I listened to you talk about what can be done with neurofeedback, but then you also said that it was possible to do it even without. At first I kind of felt, you know, discouraged because knowing that neurofeedback is very costly and knowing that I don't have a lot of money, I thought it was something, you know, that would never be within the realm of what I could do for myself, but then when you said, you know, you, you, it seems it seems to the, the the okay, Rachel, calm down, makes sense. Um, it seemed when it when it seemed to me that that you hinted that it, it could be done even without. I was like, okay, and I left feeling like I I want what she has. I I that. Am I making any sense at all? You're actually doing great. You're doing great. 
So you wanted, you saw a possibility and you wanted to get a hold of it. And that's all there really is to anything. We see what, you know, if you can't imagine a thing happening, you can't travel towards it on purpose. If you don't travel towards it on purpose, even if you get it, you might not know you have it, and you might let it go. When you're purposeful and intentional, you have a greater chance of hanging on to any healing or change or improvement in in your life that you make because you see that you're getting there and you keep purposefully grabbing on and holding on and grabbing on and holding on. And so you're making all kinds of sense. I gave you... And somehow, through the show, you saw the possibility of something you never saw before. And you see that as positive. And I see that as positive. You know, did you know that there are people who think that giving that kind of hope is cruel? Is what? Cruel. Spell that. C-R-U-E-L. Cruel. Okay, thank you. I I was having a hard time. I couldn't tell if it was cruel or cool. C-O-O-L. Cruel cruel. They think it's mean, you know, that it's um, that you're setting up hopes and dreams and then if they don't make it, they'll have so much pain. Have you ever thought that that might be the case, that having me giving you this inspirational idea might leave you um, more frustrated instead of more helped? Um, No, I've never thought that at all. I don't think it either, but I'm just raising the issue. (laughs) You know, I mean, I always think that, I actually think that's an interesting thing that people talk about. It's like, you know, not being willing to fall in love with somebody because what if you get hurt? I'm like, well, aren't you hurting, refusing to love them? I mean, (laughs) you know, at least you're going after something joyous. So I don't see it that way, but I do I do know that there are a lot of people out there that worry about folks raising hopes, and uh, it's, a, it's a constant conversation, so it's kind of fun that we dipped into it. But let's get on our theme. Thank you for okay. letting me go off it for a second so people know who you are. And um, so your grandma, you, did you grow up close to your grandma? Was she awful? Is she awesome? Do you have sort of a non-relationship? Tell us about her. Um, my grandma is... The, the one that's living is my mom's mom, and um, I grew up knowing, knowing her. She was involved in my life, um, our lives, I guess, um, when, when my grandparents were both living and younger, and I was obviously younger, too, um, when I was a kid. They would, like, come in, I think maybe even every week, once a week, to visit and spend time and bring us groceries because we were poor and stuff like that. And then um, when... Was she uh, fun? Did you feel excited when she was coming? Was it just, it was nice to know the food was coming? What was your experience as a child? Um, really, my, my experience as a child was that, yeah, it's exciting grandma and grandpa are coming. Grandpa was the more fun one usually he was the one that would pay more attention to me grandma would pay more attention to my mom Mm -hmm. and grandpa would um bring me like spare change and he'd sit there with me and watch me count the quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies and stuff and add up the total amount and fun stuff like that so your grandparents made a positive difference to your childhood yes they did 
Okay. And do you think that had they not been a part of your childhood, it would have been less in some way? Or that it was, you know, it was nice that they were there, but we'd have been fine without them? Which way? Um, that's a really deep question, Lynette. Oh, you can um, do it. Dig deep, dig deep. Okay, I'm trying. Um, well, okay, my brain is freezing. Let's try it this way. Let's do it this way. When your grandpa, so let's get specific. When your grandpa was uh, getting you to count the dimes and the quarters and that sort of thing, did that help you to get the skill of math perhaps? Or do you think that it helped you to feel more connected to grown-ups? Or was it just, you know, I had a lot of adults come through my life, you know, cousins and things like that. Most of them I forget. Most of them had no bearing whatsoever. They could have come or not come. It's not very important. But there were a few that were very important for whatever reasons. Um, but this is for you to answer, not me today. But So when your grandpa came and he was the one that would take the time to play with you and do that, did you feel like it empowered you in some way or was it kind of a, just a time filler? To be honest, I, I would like to think that maybe it was something you know, more more helpful at first, but once I, once I had the skill down, it just became like habit, tradition, just this is what we do. Right, right. That's pretty common, you know. It's sort of like, oh, well, this is the game we play, and pretty soon you'll go. <laughs> what about the groceries? Do you think you guys would have been um, really challenged to have enough food without their help? Yeah, um, my, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. I, I, I was not aware of this when I was a child, but once I grew up and realized that, oh, the reason why Grandma and Grandpa came to visit us every week and the reason why they brought groceries is, oh, because we needed the groceries because my dad didn't work and he wouldn't let my mom work and blah, 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 blah. So really through a lot of my youngest part of my childhood, my grandparents basically made sure that I and my parents had food to eat. That's awesome. That's that really awesome. So, and your grandma's still alive? She is. Um, actually, I went down today and visited her. She's 94 years old now, and she has, she lives in a nursing home. She, she got really sick in some part of 2010, and actually we didn't think she was going to make it, but she surprised us and stayed around, <laughs> and, but she couldn't go back to living on her own as she had been, so she's been living in a nursing home, and is she cognizant? Like, does she know you when you come? Yes, she does. And it was kind of funny when I showed up today because she didn't know I was coming. This was a surprise. Uh-huh. And so I, I get there and I walk in through the door and the look on her face was like, it's like she was searching. Like she, once she matched the picture with the person, it was like she could. It, it looked like she could hardly believe that I was really there. 
<laughs> well, that must have been fun, actually. Yeah, it it was. All right, so your grandma, she's happy and she knows you well. Um, how come you adopted another one by name then, if you've already got one? What, what led to you having somebody else that you call grandma? Well, um, I didn't actually adopt her. She adopted me. Of course, nothing... No, no, legally, no, le- no legal yeah. issues, but um, she 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 started out as somebody that I was gravitating towards. Um, I'm not sure this 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 may make sense. Maybe it's maybe it's an autism thing, or maybe it's not. I don't know, but I I seem to have a history of like watching people from a distance for a long time before I, you know, decide to form a relationship with them or not, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, trying to condense the story, we, we both attended the same church, and so, you know, from being around this person week after week after week and trying to be friends, trying to, trying to you know, trying to... Um, I don't know. Be polite or actually get to know her? Well, okay. Honest, gut-wrenching truth. Yeah. It's just um, trying, to, trying to reach out for somebody who I felt safe enough around to love me. Somebody, that, somebody I could get a hug from. Okay. And... and so anyway, she wound up not being turned off by that, and she's an older woman. And so one day she was like, how would you like to be my granddaughter? Aw, that's awesome. Yeah, and so, so she, I, she adopted me, if you want to use that word. She sure, called me the granddaughter of her heart. Aw, that's awesome. I love that story. So you get your hugs. Yes, I, at least I, you know, when, I, when I see her, I get hugs. <laughs> All right, so since this is a grandmother show, and uh, we're talking to you about your relationship with your grandmothers, and uh, after the break we'll be talking to a grandmother about her relationship with her children. Um, what would you say, so this is sort of the moment. So we've talked about, you know, your two situations. And in both cases, without the grandma, you'd have been, you'd have lost a piece, whether it was food or whether it was hugs or whether, you know, I mean, it was important. So what would you say um, as your word of advice to the world in relationship to grandparenting? Do you want me to make that an easier question? Please do. Okay. Um, so let's go back to how this show came to be. People were really actually irate uh, because their parents weren't grandparenting their children. So they were like, you know, my mom won't have anything to do with my son just because he has autism. And, and I was getting a lot of those kinds of emails, and so people wanted me to do a show on this. Um, and yet those people that were so upset refused to come on air, and maybe they're afraid of being heard saying those things. I understand. That's fine. 
Um, interesting that the two people that are on the show are both talking about positive experiencing experiences with grandparents, either being it or having it. So I think what we want to do is find a way to share that with the world because clearly there's a bunch of upset people who are not willing to tell their side of the story once they get a chance, um, out loud at least. So, you know, from your perspective of having now an adopted grandma for hugs and um, a grandma that's just been there your whole life and brought groceries and made sure that you, you know, you survived your childhood and is still happy to see you in her 90s, you have some kind of experience here that you can share with people. So let's think, what would you say to your mom, for example, if you were trying to get your mom to have a better relationship with her mom? Because that's the people we want to talk to right now, the ones who are all you know, caught up with they don't think that their parents are being good grandparents. How do you think we can help them? I I don't know. The only thing that really comes to my mind is just that although, of course, I see the sadness of a situation of, say, you know, a family where the grandparents, for whatever reason, don't want to be involved, but I think the important thing to remember is that all of us individual people deserve the freedom to make our own choices. And so if, you know, if, say, my grandparents had chosen to not want to be part of our lives, that would have been the way that it was. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just, it's very, very sad, but... I think it's also like not worth wasting stress over, if that makes any sense. Or Actually, that, no, that's perfect. That's perfect because I didn't say it and I want to. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. People have the right to make their own choices. People have the right at every turn to make their own choices. If I have a baby and I don't want to raise that child, I may give it up for adoption. I have that right. If I have a child who has an autistic child and I am afraid of that and don't want to be a part of it, I have that right. It's not uh, necessarily the way we want it to go. And I never made those choices, but that doesn't mean that someone else doesn't have the right to make those choices. And I think that if you keep fighting it and wishing it were different and calling it wrong and calling it cruel and calling it bad, you're just creating a lot of bad emotions in yourself. And uh, if you let people have the right to make their choices, then you have the right to make yours too, which is maybe let them go. Well said, Lynette. Well said. You said it well. You said it well. I just said it with more words. <laughs> All right. Yep. Well, Rachel, thank you. Thank you for being willing to share your personal experience and your life and your voice with us, and everybody's going to be blessed by that. I'm going to go to break and introduce my next person, okay? Okay. Thank you, Annette. 
And that was Rachel Clark, um, a wonderful young woman trying to heal herself off the spectrum. I have to tell you that um, she still doesn't have very much money. She just has a driving job and struggles to make ends meet. And yet, and yet, she has sent me two checks, two nice little checks to try to support Fix It in Five, this show that we're doing. So it's really nice to me... um, or heartfelt to me that, that, that people who are struggling see the value so much in this show that I'm trying to do so that we're all kind of all in on it. We're all going broke over it, but hopefully the gift that gives to the universe really, well, not the universe, I don't think any aliens will watch, uh, <laughs> to the world is as big as we hope it will be. Um, anyways, so she is a generous spirit and a lovely lady, and I'm lucky to know her, and you're lucky to have gotten to listen to her. This is a new spin on autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, your story teacher host. This is a place where we boldly go where nobody usually goes and try to come up with real answers, talk to real people about real stuff. And uh, we're not going to have the great guest giveaway today, just two great guests. But we are going to, at the very end of the show, and make sure you hang around for it, because that's where you'll find Stories from the Road. Coming up next, we're going to have the viewpoint from the other side of the fence. We're gonna, we talked to Rachel about what it's like you know, to be the grandchild looking up at the grandparent. Now we're going to talk to the grandparent looking down at the child. Not looking down, like that was figurative. Never mind. Let's, let's move on. To a grandparent who can sort of speak for grandparents out there in the world and, and say what's up for them, or at least for her. This is Barbara Smith. She's a retired nurse. She's been, well, actually, I'm going to let her tell you. Barbara, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. And you're a grandparent of an autistic person. I am the grandparent of Daniel. He's three years old, and he has autism, yes. Yes, and is he your only uh, grandchild, or do you have other grandchildren? No, I have ten grandchildren. He's my eighth, seventh grandchild. He's my seventh grandchild. I have two, two younger than him, and actually one of them is two, and we're kind of in the process of, pardon me, of getting her diagnosed. She's got some delays, so we may be going down the same road again. Well, it'll be an experience to pass. It, it right. <laughs> I have ten grandkids path. too, so hello to ten grandkids. Yeah. How exciting, yeah, huh? Great, great. About to have my first great grandchild in probably about three or four more months. Oh, so. my goodness! How exciting! So not my first rodeo here, but my first one with autism. Very interesting. And but you were in the mental health field, so you're not a stranger to challenges. No, I'm not a stranger to mental health issues. I've worked 30 years, retired, uh, worked with children and adults and adolescents, inpatient, outpatient, crisis units, pretty much the whole gamut. So I have had experience with autism, um, but not directly, not like this. This is different. Okay, so here's what's been interesting as I've put the word out and said, okay, you know, grandparents come forward or people dealing with issues with grandparents come forward. Um, what you hear a lot, of course, of course, the squeaky wheel, right? The, the squeaky wheel is always the one that's willing to answer the post or the request. So it is sort of a skewed version of the truth, of course. But I am hearing mostly about people who are challenged to try and get their parents 
to take a part in the help and raising of their grandchildren. Um, and mostly just being judged and, and told, you know, make your child behave and he won't be autistic anymore. So can you please give us a little bit of your input for how you've taken on some of um, the support role for your grandson and possibly soon your granddaughter, and then give some words of wisdom to our grandparents who might be listening and to our parents who might be listening trying to figure out how to have a relationship uh, with the grandparents. Okay. I, I, I can start out saying that, you know, Daniel born, everything went great. He was a great baby. Uh, didn't really notice anything until he was around nine months or maybe a little earlier. Started, I started noticing things. He grunted, did some spinning, he did some things that I had not quite seen before, and I had concerns, and uh, we had had someone in the home that had just bringing up babies, just came in, um, every monthly did kind of developmental tests, and this was nothing to do with autism. This was just somebody, my daughter, first-time mom, wanted just some, some ideas, parenting ideas, so we kind of talked to this woman about it, and we kind of watched him, and things didn't seem to get better, and so... <clears throat> I had had experience and I had ideas that this might be what it is and I was kind of afraid to talk to my daughter about it, to be honest, and I thought she might not understand. So uh, we kind of watched him a little longer and I knew it was the right time and we sat down and we talked and we cried. We talked and we cried and (laughs) then we decided that it was time to go get some some assessment, you know, get some testing done, do some intervention, see what we can find out. So we got involved with the health department, and um, they do early intervention. They did some assessments, and, yeah, he seemed to have, you know, some problems, sensory, some things they saw. We, we started with them, and I decided she's a single mom. I thought I might better move in with her, and that's what I did. Um, I'm retired, and I thought, you know, this is where I need to be right now in my life. So I did move in with her, and she worked full-time, and she was on the road a lot. So I kind of stepped in, and I kind of look at myself as being her guide more than anything to kind of help guide her. I read everything I could on autism. I watched everything I could. I learned everything I could, and I shared information when she got home. And so we kind of went with ideas, what sounded good, what sounded right. And so we proceeded on and when it was time to do to go have the set their diagnosis done we did and his diagnosis yes was PDD and OS and so it was time to really get busy with some interventions and of course insurance won't pay for the therapy that that we thought he probably needed so he had speech therapist he had OT through the health department um, so we talked to Oklahoma Autism and uh, they had a research progress progr- research program Mm -hmm. um, going on and so we signed up for it and I say we because we're his team he and uh, him me and mama have been his team uh, his main team his team is big now it's huge now but we started Mm -hmm. it and so we we signed up with that research progress our program and um, he got picked to be in the group we wanted him to get picked in which meant someone came in and Basically, what they did is they came in, and I got to be that person because I was here, and I was so I felt so good and so important to be able to be that person to work with him and do the things that I knew was going to make a big difference. I knew these things were going to make differences in his life, and I know now that they already have. 
So, um, and what are these they, things? These things. Tell us what you mean by these things. Well, he, the things are were working daily with him and keeping him away from the TV for one thing, um, doing interaction with him, always keeping him busy, not letting his little brain get sleepy, as I always called it. Uh, but the things that we actually did in the the research project was. They worked with me to, um, to, to the, I tell you, the whole project, the main thing I learned was to follow Daniel's lead. I had been working with him, but I had been kind of planning things. So what I learned to do was to follow his lead. Oh, I love your research program. <laughs> like, that's what I always say. You know, you get your clues from the child. Awesome. When they asked me what was the most important thing you learned, that's the sentence I used. I followed his lead. And when I learned that, and when I told my daughter that, and when everybody involved with Daniel learned that's what we were going to do, everything started changing. Everything changed. I had been doing good things, but I, the things I was, you know, that, that I was doing, I was, he was leading, following my lead. So right, right. I had to go to his world. And that's, that's awesome. You know, are. I always say to the people that, you know, we're, we're saying that they are aloof and removed from us and not engaged with us, but that's because we're not engaging. <laughs> so. No, we're really not. We're, right. we're asking him, him to come to us, and he doesn't right. know how to do that. You know, not at this point, I don't think, and I, I don't know what he thinks, but... He's, as I say, he's just a little boy trying to make his way through a typical world. And now we kind of know a better, you know, by the things that I, you know, learning to help him communicate and engage and imitate. And these are all okay, the things so, that I Okay, so, Barb, learned. this is all the stuff that, that we talk about all the time. I have a question. How is it that you made this choice? Like, what was it about your relationship with your daughter or what was special about you? Because we're trying to bring to people um, kind of an answer, at least an attempt at an answer for how they can create the kind of team that you and your daughter created instead of having the extended family pull away. I don't know how they couldn't make that decision. I, I, I don't know how, peop- how, how anyone could ever make a decision to turn their back on, on any child, any child, no matter what, disability or typical, non-typical. I mean, I, I don't understand that. I, and and I, I can't imagine being a part of, not being a part of this. Um, I'm so close. I've always been close to my children. I've always helped with my grandchildren. I've never had the opportunity to be lucky enough to be able to watch one full time until Daniel was born. And I just felt a commitment. I felt a commitment to him. I knew that, you know, that we were going to make a difference in his life. And no matter how things ended up when he got older, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to be, but I do know one thing. I know he's going to be the best that he can be. Well, I do know one thing, too. I heard you say something really neat that I really want to underline, highlight, and put quotation marks around you said up until now you had never been lucky enough to be able to care for one of your grandchildren full-time. Grandparents, I want to say that again. She feels lucky to have been able to be this immersed in her grandson's life, even though and maybe because he was challenged. That's pretty exciting, and that's a pretty important statement. I mean, if you think about it, that's not the common take on things. 
It's real for me. It's it's real for me. This is how I was by my mother taught to be a mother and this is how I mother and this is how I'll grandmother, you know, it's it's an ongoing So in the end so tell me, Barb, in the end, is it about whether he is off the spectrum or not, or is it about the moments you're having now and the life you're living now? Oh, it's it's about the whole picture. It's I mean, right now it's it's what we live right now every day. I mean, my cup runneth over with pride with this child. I I cannot believe how incredible he is. He's nonverbal. He's still at age three, and that he can communicate, and he's in school, and he's doing great, and he's he's he is just hopping right along. You know, I, I'm enjoying the moment with him. Um, I worry about the future. I, that's kind of, I don't try not to think too much about it because I'm going to focus on it and, uh, you know, we're going to focus on right now and where we can get him. I, I worry about the future when I'm not here <laughs> to help. You know, you, know, you know, I heard Marianne Williamson say one time that the, the future emanates from the present or the present emanates from the past. And I like to apply that in this circumstance because if you're living and loving the moment and the child and your own life and, and your contribution to the child's life, et cetera, et cetera, then I believe firmly that what will emanate into the future is that kind of cohesive picture and that kind of connectedness. Um, and it may have its own face, but it will definitely be of that I type. Agree. He's happy. And, He's right. Happy. And if you're forcing so and pushing. Happy. He is so loved. He is right. so competent right now that... I can't see that the future doesn't hold the greatest things for him, no matter what they are. I mean, he's just, and that's how we will continue to raise him the same way. Okay. All right. What a great show. You know what? I kind of put this one together like a patchwork quilt at the last minute. I wasn't sure if it was going to serve the purpose that I thought needed to be served. And I guess you'll be the judge of that. But I think, in fact, that we didn't have a bunch of people coming on complaining about um, their parents or grandparents, but instead had people talking about the positive um, heart of being a grandparent and the positive influence and the tangible effect, like food, (laughs) that a grandparent can have. Um, I think maybe that was much more valuable. And I can always play the other role for you. So here we go. Stories from the road. All right. So uh, one of the guests that was going to be on, in, in her defense, she was more than willing to do it, but I just have to get this show edited before she was available. Um, I was going to have her kind of close off the show because uh, she was, the, the person that I uh, was interviewing for Fix It In Five when I met Rachel, and I thought it would be nice to sort of, I've had her on before, and I thought it would be nice to have her on again and talk about this particular subject, and it sort of matched up with the, the news of the day about uh, the excitement of Fix It In Five on the Autism Channel. So um, she was more than willing to do it. Her name's Jody, and you, you know, you'll get to see her when her episodes are up, but... Um, she is busy working because she's a working lady and she couldn't uh, make it in time. So I'm going to tell you her story, and I hope you do it well. Um, and, and it's just a piece of her story. She has Her mother lives in the same apartment building as her. She lives just down the hall. Um, and for so many reasons, that should be wonderful and super um, helpful to her, you know, to be able to have even just the extra 
space because her son went through a period where he was quite violent and breaking things and maybe just to have um, another apartment to run to <laughs> from time to time. He's fine now and it's all lovely, but, um, but it was tough. There was a period there where it was really, really tough. And you would think that having, you know, a parent down the hall would be a really good thing. And maybe it was. But um, it was also not such a good thing. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is isolate it to a particular story because that way I can be pretty clear. And it's something that I think will, will show you what happens um, and why we have to make clear choices about the relationships that surround ourselves and our children. So uh, at one point, Jody was bringing her son to see me, well, for the show that we talked about. And they were going to take a train. Now, this is a big deal because, you know, given that he had been a big boy and had been having violent outbursts and different things like that, their life had gotten very small. It had gotten to where they hadn't um, been going out very much and, you know, of course, because they were afraid <laughs> that things would go south. So... Um, it got to the point where they had a really teeny life, and I came along, we did the show, and things changed. And so now it was time for the follow-up. And, you know, he was going to go on a train with his mom, and they were going to travel all the way from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Or actually, he was, had a little sign that he was carrying. Hollywood, here I come. It was really cute. She took pictures and sent them to me. So it would behoove everybody <laughs> to set this up success. It was a big experience coming up. It was a big moment. It would have, you know, cemented how great he had done in his memory. So it was really important that everybody be user-friendly during this period. And they needed a ride to the train station. So the only person who was able to give them that ride was Grandma. So Grandma was giving them a ride to the train station this boy who's done so well, this mom who's taking such a big leap, and they're about to really stretch the envelope and be on a train for many, many, many hours. This is a boy who hasn't been able to, by the way, step into new environments. Like you, if you went to go into, say, a hotel room that he'd never been in before, that meant he had to cross a threshold he'd never crossed. And this is something that when I met him was not okay. This would lead to a big violent outburst. So... Um, in fact, I lost my tooth over one of those. So it was a big deal that he was going to get on a train and come all the way and then stay in a hotel. I mean, you know, we want to be in the right frame of mind for this. So mom gets grandma to drive them to the train station, and on the way to the train station, the entire way to the train station, grandma is complaining about the fact that they're doing it that she's taking them, that how he behaves and how she behaves with him and, and how he shouldn't be going, and just on and on and on. Now, um, you know, if it wasn't me representing it and, and the person who was in the car at the time was representing it, we'd be able to give you specific uh, phraseology, but I don't want to do that because it's hearsay. I just want to tell you the story as it came to me in a general way. But I do want you to think about this for a second because I think a lot of people deal with this kind of stuff with their grandparents, with their neighbors, with, you know, with, I don't know, old friends. Don't subject yourself to that. I agree you shouldn't subject your child to it, but don't subject yourself. Take a cab. Just take a cab. Just, you know, don't do it. It's not worth the trade-off. 
It's really easy to think it is. It's really easy to think it's important and you absolutely need um, that person to help you in that way on that day. But you don't. Whenever you say no, I'm not going to subject us to that, you come up with a different answer. And the fact is, if she hadn't got on that train, I know we'd have figured something out. I would have gone, oh, oh no, <laughs> but I'd have figured something out. So he did fine, but they didn't have a great train ride. They had a challenged train ride, and that was not necessary. When you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, my parents should be doing this, my parents should be doing that, remember what Rachel said. They have the right to not do it, and so do you. Insist on a beautiful life and accept nothing less. So in the question of how do you water the petals of the grandparents, make them flower into something beautiful, well, you just water the petals and... If they don't grow into something beautiful that wants to be a part of your life, you let them dry up and blow away. And you get on with your life, okay? That's my opinion. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm Lynette Louise, a.k.a. The Brain Broad. Keep your eye out for the Autism Channel's Fix It in Five. We're real excited about it. Thank you for being here because without you, I would just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.